Hey, this is Robert Mitchell. Time for a new high tide in the dream time. It's been a while, but the listens have been way up, but I just have not been inspired to make a a podcast, but I am going to make one today and I hope you guys enjoy it. And I think that the title, it's not going to be break on through, but that is going to be a theme, is going to be psychedelics and the self. Or it could be psychedelics dreaming in the self. We'll see when I write it out. Anyway, what's inspired this episode is I was talking to somebody the other day who was interested in the work I was doing, and they were talking about people's work with psychedelics, and they were talking about heroic doses, and they were talking about people's reaction to that and people's reaction to, you know, perhaps freaking out in that experience, talking about high dose psilocybin sessions and wanting to know if people had freaked out uh, in their work with me. And the answer was no, nobody ever had. Nobody had ever freaked out in their work with me. And that is 100% true because I've seen how people work in controlled conditions. Now that doesn't mean that um, very difficult unconscious content doesn't come up or that people don't get anxious about um, the experiences that they're having that are sort of non-egoic states, meaning what this episode is really about is that our, 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 our egos are conditioned states. They are temporary. For every single one of us, there's something that we have created like a shell to keep us feeling safe and comfortable and functional and to keep out the things in our experience that we haven't liked and to include the things in our experience that we like in our recall about ourselves in our recall about our histories, in our notions of who we are, and in our notions of who we want to be, and in how we want to be regarded and perceived and mostly loved. So there is no punishment. There is no judgment about how we've created our egos because they have been in response to our environment in a way that is coping and hopefully successful and hopefully makes us comfortable. But they are a coping mechanism and very well could be the result of karma. Meaning I don't believe that people are a result of their environment. I believe that people create their environment to inform them of what their transformational possibilities are. And implicit in this is that their kind of limit of their understanding of themselves is going to be expressed in the environments that they find themselves in that are ego shaping. There really aren't any uh, exceptions to this rule in my experience in working with people and in my own experience. That's just how I understand things. I always explain to people that they are not the result of their parents, even though their parents have made a strong imprint on them and have affected their sense of themselves, but that their parents 
are their experience with their parents are actually them understanding about themselves. And I just had this experience the other day where I worked with somebody, an old client of mine. It was actually an astrology client, and he'd had a baby seven days ago. And just as if I was looking at the astrology chart of somebody who was 60, I can see the experience and the impact of the parents in the astrology chart. Anybody who really understands astrology can do this. It's not some super talent of mine, though I have a high level of comprehension of astrology. But that basically implies that that information is there at the moment of our birth, that our predilection to how we perceive certain aspects of our experience, including our parents and our talents and our abilities and our shortcomings, it's all there at the moment of birth. And you can call it karma, you can call it fate, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but it's there. And if you think it isn't, then and you think you're a byproduct of your environment and your circumstances, well, that's a very temporal understanding you have of yourself. That's a very temporary experience that you're having that's going to begin at your awareness as a young child and is going to end at your death. But what this episode is about, what psychedelics are about, what dreaming is about, is that there is an intelligence that spans this lifetime that existed before it and will exist after it. And it's present here as well. It's interwoven into the very fabric of our experience, but it's also camouflaged by how we perceive things and what our predilections are in how we perceive ourselves and our environments. So we start to think that we are only the result of our experiences rather than a hologram of consciousness that's reminding itself of what it understands and what it doesn't through these experiences so that it can understand more so that it can have new understanding of itself, usually in the resolution of its conflicts with itself, in the things that seem to be intolerable and unchangeable, that wear at us for years and sometimes for a lifetime, that we can make these things pop, that these conflicts that are so uncomfortable and make us feel so unreasonable and make us feel so stuck that these are the very material that transform our consciousness into something else, into a third thing that is more profound than the conflicts so that the conflicts don't even matter anymore when the transformation takes place. Like the popcorn doesn't remember when it was a kernel. It doesn't care about being in the bag. It's excited that it's popped and become popcorn and it's transfigured into something else that it didn't know that it was. So that is what um, this episode is about because when this person the other day was asking me about do people freak out in high psilocybin experiences? My answer was, I've never seen it happen. I've never seen somebody freak out. I've seen people have unusual experiences that their ego, 
has a hard time making sense of because it is like a periscope of the eternal submarine. And when the eternal submarine surfaces and shows itself to be the source of the periscope, the periscope starts to feel a little insecure and that it doesn't really understand what its purpose is in relationship to the submarine, which is enormous. Okay, so so like I said, how I'm going to frame this is with psychedelics and dreaming um, because they're the exact same experience. I, um, dreaming and psychedelics happen in the same part of the brain. And dreaming happens in a language that is not intellectual, that is primordial, that uses imagery and emotions and not the intellect. It's the... It's the it's the uh, sum total of two million years of human evolution and human brains. And it is speaking in a language that is a result of those two million years there, you know. And so when we hear it, we hear it as the 21st century man or woman. And we hear it as somebody who grew up in Los Angeles or grew up in New York or grew up in Delaware or grew up in Maine or grew up in London. And it's, and we speak the language we found ourselves in. You know, um, we speak English or we speak Spanish or we speak French. But that's not what these images speak in. They speak in a two million year old language that precedes language. And that's why we have a problem understanding them. But... In psychedelic experiences, if they're internal, you are going, or me, or anybody who has these experiences in a thoughtful way, you are going to be exposed to parts of yourself that you do not realize are yourself, just like you do when you're dreaming. When you dream of this terrible person, when you dream of this violent person, when you dream of this super sexual person, when you dream of UFOs and aliens or whatever it is, when you dream of your least favorite person in the world and you're in an engagement with them, um, whatever it is, it's some primordial intelligence that is you that is a band, think of it as a band of experience and, and you, it's, it's concentric bands and in its narrowest form, in its narrowest aperture, that's your ego. That's, I know me, my name is this. This is how I grew up. This is what happened to me. This is where I'm from. This is what I think. This is what's good about me. This is how I'm a good person. This is why people like me, right? So there's all that and we're all, we're all, um, recycling that day after day from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep because we want to have an enjoyable experience of ourselves and we want other people to enjoy us. But outside of that aperture, which is super narrow, which I'd say is, I don't know, two or three or five or 10% of us, if you use psychedelics in a thoughtful way, if you use just as if you dream in a thoughtful way, if you work with your dreams in a, in a thoughtful way, you are going to come in contact with parts of yourself that the ego doesn't consider part of its structure. It doesn't consider part of its identity. It doesn't consider part of its value system. And when that happens, that's going to seem really weird. That's going to seem 
really strange. That's going to seem really going to make a lot of people really uncomfortable. That's going to make people think that they're coming in contact with aliens. <laughs> and what's super funny about that is people experience things as alien that they just do not experience in themselves as part of themselves. They call that alien. If you look at it in the culture, it's everybody's fear of, of the other. But that other is us. You know, that is, that is what people encounter in these experiences and they think are frightening and they think are a freak out and they think is death. I have literally, this guy appeared to me recently, it was on the cover of the Hollywood Reporter that I worked with. And in one of his experiences, he said to me, and I've had this happen a lot in the midst of this very profound experience, he said to me, Robert, I'm going to die. I am dying. And this is sort of like the famed ego death in psychedelics. It's what people kind of want to go for. They think that's the thing. That's the, that's the hot ticket in psychedelics is ego death. It's a big catchphrase. And what that actually is, is people going beyond the boundary of how they experience themselves. It's people's going past the, um, into the hinterlands of their consciousness beyond where they've been hanging out their whole life because where they're hanging out their whole life is where they're comfortable and where they've been comfortable and where they've been coping and where people have understood them and where people have rewarded them and where people have created a consensus about who they are that they agree with. Well, when they get into high dosage psychedelics, they begin to travel beyond that and they begin to be afraid that they're dying, literally, because the ego is the only, it's the only bit of land that they've ever existed on. And it's the only bit of territory that they've ever explored, no matter whether they've done psychedelics before or they meditated or whatever. I've seen all kinds of sophisticated people have this experience and the experience is, I think I'm dying. Most recently, I think I mentioned in a podcast, I had a fellow who was working with me and who thought in his earlier experiences, he didn't experience sort of his being not fettered to his ego states. And he was looking forward to this. And then in his second experience, like I said, in the last podcast, he thought to himself, hmm, am I dreaming? Have I died? Ah, oh, who cares? And that's a great attitude in these experiences. It's a great attitude dreaming. It's a great, it's a great, it's, he brought the experience in. He brought the dreaming, dying psychedelics into one thing. And if you go beyond your egoic understanding of yourself, it will seem like death. And for many, death is the first experience they have of this during their lifetime because they're so conditioned and so attached to experiencing themselves a certain way that, and that they will hang on to that for 80 years. You know, I've seen my mom doing that now. It's just, it's so hard to transition from your concept of yourself to the reality of yourself. And we see that collectively in our politics. Cause like I like to say, 
America. It's all concept and no reality. Meaning if you think there's a United States of America in this, in this, uh, concept of the United States that's contains 35 countries and all kinds of different people and all kinds of different belief systems. And you think there's anything in common between Tuscaloosa, Alabama and Los Angeles, California, there's nothing in common. There's nothing in common in those, in those cultures. It's like, there's nothing in common in, you know, parts of Italy and parts of Denmark or parts of Italy and parts of Russia. And, we are the same. We have these concepts about ourselves that are not reality, that are these conditioned concepts. And when we go beyond them, it feels like the whole thing that's being held together by a concept starts to fall apart. Well, if I'm experiencing this state that's so foreign to everything I know about myself, I must be dying. And what I always say to people when they have that experience is go ahead and die. That's why we're doing this. Forget about your life and go through the experience and something amazing will happen. And what happens is they get this experience of themselves beyond this concept of themselves that's real, that they've never had before, that they've never been in this kind of discourse with themselves about themselves. And it can be mind-blowing and it can be life-changing it can be really life-changing for people who are approaching their death, who think that, and I've worked with people like that, who think that their physical um, deterioration when they lose their capacity to maintain their integrity is going to be the end of them because their conditioned state is attached to their body. And when they have this experience, they realize that that is not the case that death is just another transition and another transformation. And so are these psychedelic states, these psychedelic states where you go beyond all concept of yourself because the concept that we all have of ourselves are so limited and such a small percentage of our consciousness and of the origins of our consciousness that going beyond them is a real diminution of the ego. It really lets you it know that it's it's kind of a nothing, that it's a passenger in this experience that thinks that it's driving. And so what happens when people have this experience is they encounter these other aspects of their consciousness that have nothing to do with their identity and nothing to do with their history. And it makes them feel like that identity and history is crumbling. And that is what is most frightening to people is that this identity and concept I've had of myself my whole life is falling apart right in front of me and it doesn't mean anything and I'm not going to be able to put it back together now that I've seen this. And what I always say to people is it's going to come back together on its own. Don't worry. You don't have to do anything to get back to where you started today. That's going to happen as the states of your consciousness sort of reach some kind of homeostasis that it normally is in. You don't have to grasp at anything. You don't have to aspire to anything. Just have this experience, have this transpersonal experience, and then work on integrating it into your personality. 
integrating it into your new ego state in bringing the things in this experience into your everyday sense of yourself, into your everyday understanding of yourself and into your behavior and your interactions with the world around you into how you perceive information, into how you perceive information regarding you because you're conditioned and I'm conditioned to prefer some ways of being related to and to reject others because they don't go along with our narrative of ourselves. Well, this experience, if people really have it, it doesn't go along with their narrative of themselves. And for some people, that is absolutely terrifying. And for some people, it is an absolute revelation, you know, and you can usually tell uh, about people's orientation towards themselves because people who are very narcissistic, they don't like letting go of their architecture of narcissism. And people who are more open, they will let it go and they will let their ego be relativized. And they will let new ways of being seen and being heard and, and experiencing their world come into their experience, just like they've allowed it in the psychedelic experience or in this experience of a dream. You know, the most, I remember the most, one of the most profound experiences I ever had. I wanted to talk about this because, um, because I wanted to show about the, the, the relationship between psychedelic and, and dreaming. One is I remember having this dream when I was in San Francisco and I was probably about 23 or 24 and I used to run through Golden Gate Park every day. Um, and in the dream I was having, I was running through Golden Gate Park and there was this jubilee going on and it was like a festival. It was like this festival of all the races were together and celebrating together and taking down boundaries and all this sort of stuff. And I remember seeing that there was this incredibly beautiful African man or African-American man who was leading the ceremonies. And he looked at me and he had golden eyes. And I'd never seen golden eyes before. And when he looked at me, like I just felt like he approved of and loved everything about me, everything about who I was, the contradictions, the lack of courage in certain parts of myself, the courage in other parts, the capabilities, the weaknesses. And he just looked at it and he approved of all of it. And it was the most remarkable feeling. And it, like probably beyond anything that I've ever experienced with psychedelics. And I, the next day I was running in Golden Gate Park in real life. And, um, I don't think I'd remembered having the dream when I was running, but I ran by the place where the Jubilee was happening in the dream. And I remembered the dream while I was running and I doubled over sobbing because it was so moving to be regarded that way and to be approved of that way and to be loved that way. And, and it was so beyond my egoic sense of what I allow usually in my understanding of myself. And then I was talking to someone else this week and um, I was talking about 5-MeO uh, DMT, which is the most powerful psychedelic on earth. I'd say it's like 50 times more powerful than psilocybin. And I've experienced it once because I just thought I should be informed about it. And I read a lot about it. I've spoken about it on this podcast before, but I had enormous amount of... Um, 
hesitation about it. And the whole week before I was thinking, oh, maybe I don't want to do this or maybe there'll be a Dodger game and I won't be able to get to the place where this is happening. Or maybe the guy who's administering it, his car will break down or whatever, you know, but I felt really anxious about it and a little bit afraid because I know that people could have a really hard time on it. Um, and it can be very um, negative in their experience, but it can also be kind of like the ultimate experience of the source of consciousness. So anyway, so like that was going to be on a Saturday and on Thursday night I had this dream and the dream was that I was uh, with these two women and they had a pipe and they told me it had 5-MeO DMT in it and they handed it to me and I, uh, I inhaled it and they looked at me and it tasted like tortillas and I looked at it, uh, they looked at me and they said, now exhale. And when I exhaled, all of reality collapsed into a pinpoint of light and flew away at the speed of light, leaving me in this enormous eternal dark void. And it was really terrifying. Just like, this, it was like every bit of anxiety that I'd had about doing this experience was in the stream. And then in the void, I went, wait a minute. This is like the mycelium that all my lives spring from and return to. I'm totally familiar with this. It's dark for a while, but it doesn't stay like this. This is okay. This is all right. And then I woke up with this, this is okay and this is all right. And I thought to myself, it's okay, I can do this. I can do the 5-MEO. And so I went to the place on Saturday and I did it. And when I inhaled it, uh, the person said, it tasted like tortillas, just like it did in the dream. So this is real life. And the thing I told before is a dream. And the person said, now exhale it. And when I exhaled it, hailed it, all of reality collapsed into a pinpoint of light and flew away at the speed of light, including my entire life, all my conflicts, all my concerns, all my talents, all my abilities. And I was in this black void, just like I was in the dream. And I was instantly aware I was in the same state I was in in the dream that I'd had a couple um, days before and that I could trust it. And when I trusted it, I then got thrown into this kind of like rainbow railway, this kind of like crystalline rainbow rails that were moving so fast that there was incomprehensible speed through the solar system, out of the solar system, through the universe, out of the physical universe, way out past where the physical universe ends. And, you know, in physics, they say that, that, uh, physical reality is like 4% of reality and 96% of reality is non-physical. And I was experiencing that. And I went through that railway system, this kind of like crystalline rainbow rail, railroad system that was sort of like uh, being on the Star Trek Enterprise when it was in um, warp drive. That's what I'd experienced that. And then, but because I'd had the dream and I knew it was okay and that it was safe, I just kind of went with it. And then at a certain point, I found it over and falling apart, the crystalline railway, and I found myself at the source of white light, this white, bright, crystalline source of white light that was infinite in its energetic resource. Like it, and it had created everything, physical and non-physical. And it was the source of all things, and it loved me, but it 
wasn't anthropomorphic in its love. It was like it loved trees and it loved dogs and it loved other planets and it loved other solar systems and it loved the whole universe, the physical part and the and the non-physical part. And I just felt it run through me and it was super, super profound. But it was no more profound than and than realizing that I dreamed about the that state two nights before, completely sober. And in both of those instances, I was being shown parts of my consciousness, whether it was the dream or the 5-MEO experience, I was being shown parts of my consciousness that were completely outside of my egoic state, completely outside of my normal egoic state. And that all I had to do was trust that I could experience those things and I didn't need to be afraid, even though they were so different from my day-to-day experience. And I remember reading in Michael Pollan's book, when he did 5-MeO-DMT, he hated it because he felt like he was on the outside of the space shuttle holding on by his fingernails. And he thought he might not be able to get back to his vacation home in New Hampshire with his wife and his son, which was just his normative state of consciousness and his normal concerns. And these experiences, these psychedelic experiences, these dreaming experiences that are transcendent of our egoic states are so profound and so meaningful that they should alter our egoic states in their inclusion of them. That our egos will go, yeah, historically I'm this person, this happened to me, that happened to me, this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not. Then has to go, yeah, but I am also this consciousness that exists outside of this state and I need to welcome it in. And I need to welcome it in with my behavior and I need to welcome it in with my beliefs and I need to be I need to welcome it in with the way I interact with people and I need to welcome it in with the people that I interact with. I need to let it know that I am participating with it actively in 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 my life. That I'm 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 ambassadoring it for it so that it can make its way into my life and it can be a benefit to others through me. And it can be a benefit to me first and foremost. Because I am no longer limited by my limited understanding of myself, that my expansion of myself is an understanding. It's not that I become Superman or Superwoman or I'm going to be president of the United States or anything like that. It's that I have to incorporate this truth about myself that normally lays outside the boundaries of my consciousness. And to be willing to travel that way to be willing to be comfortable with that, to be willing to relativize your normal egoic state is a enormous gift. And it's really what makes people feel healthy and happy and renewed. You know, it's what makes people feel comfortable in their life in ways where they've never felt comfortable before. And it is a great aspiration to have. There's nothing unhealthy about it. Like when I was speaking to this person, they said, don't people freak out all the time with you? No, they don't ever freak out because I explained to them that this is going to happen. And when it happens, all you have to do is tolerate it. That the freak out is in not being willing to tolerate it because it's giving you new information that you've never had about yourself and that you've forgotten. 
And that when you get that information, it's going to put every other bit of information you have about yourself, it's going to shine a light on it about whether it's real or not, whether it's temporary or eternal, and whether it's worth carrying forward with you in your life or worth letting go of. And that can be relationships, that can be jobs, that can be self-concepts, that can be ways of making a living, that can be critical voices in your head about yourself. It can be anything. It's going to relativize that because it is going to show you the smallness of the architecture of your experience in relation to the vastness of the origins of your existence. And that is a super exciting, super healing, super valuable experience to have. And all you have to do to be able to do that is to be brave and to recognize that your ego state is a relative state that has no eternal truth. And for some people that has really worked for them. They're successful. They're, they're mature, but there's something missing. And I can't tell you how many people I've worked with who seem to have everything. And what's myth, missing is that, that they need to have an experience that is essentially religious, that essentially religare means to reconnect, that reconnects them with the roots of their experience. And the roots of their experience are not grounded in this lifetime. They're grounded in something that comes before this and follows it and feeds into it right now. And if you can get fed by those things right now, you are way, 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 way ahead of the game. Because so much suffering is in people's temporal understanding of themselves and their situations and the world that they live in. So I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. This is Robert Mitchell, High Tide in the Dream Time. I've really been inspired telling you guys about this. Hope you enjoy it. You can check out my website at www.goingquantum.org. Um, and I'm going to, you can leave uh, reviews of this podcast on Apple iTunes, I think, on Apple Podcasts. I always appreciate that. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. And I look forward to being in touch again soon. Destroys the night, night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide.